Hello, thank you for joining us today. This is A Little Louder Now with Alicia and Alex. This is February in this month in history. February is Black History Month and we're going to be celebrating some uh, African-American women who have blazed trails. And today we're gonna to be talking about Misty Copeland. My girl Misty, she is the first African-American principal dancer who was promoted at American Ballet Theater, a major international ballet company. Let me tell you some stuff about Misty. Okay, I'm happy to hear. I think she's stunning, so tell me. Tell me more. Well, let me give you a little context here first. I am a former dancer, and I love everything about the dance world. And so I was especially excited to talk about Misty and went a little overboard with my research. And so uh, bear with me here. Okay. So Misty started ballet at age 13, and she is considered a prodigy who rose to stardom. Isn't 13 kind of old to start in ballet? Yes. Most ballerinas start their formal training at age three. So she was, wow, a decade <laughs> late to the game. But that's probably, I, I mean, I, I did some research of my own as well, and I noted that her teacher had put in extra classes to quote-unquote make up the missing years that she mm -hmm. missed in starting late. But I can't help but think maybe, maybe she'll have a longer career because she started later. I don't know, but I, I know how hard it is on the body to be a ballet dancer. Mm -hmm. And I can imagine that even though she's already had injuries and, and issues like that, I can imagine that having 10 years extra of not breaking your body has to be positive, right? I mean, sure, in some <laughs> respects, but she missed out on 10 years of training. And I mean, She's a prodigy, mm -hmm. so a normal dancer couldn't start at 13 and have the career that she has had. Um, so it's interesting that you mention her ballet teacher because she has a really interesting story. So Misty grew up in LA and she was one of six kids. And so she, it, her mom had a rough time of it and didn't have a lot of money and when she became captain of the drill team uh, her her coach suggested that she started taking ballet and so she started taking ballet classes but she quickly couldn't afford it mm -hmm. and so her ballet teacher recognized the potential of stardom in Misty so she decided to uh, forego all the tuition costs wow. for her. And she even went so far as having Misty live with her family during weekdays, live with her family uh, during the weekends. And that was, I mean, that logistically makes sense, but it also made sense because at the time, wasn't her mom and her siblings, weren't they living in like one hotel yeah. room? So imagine seven people in one hotel room uh, at this, like, run-down motel. Um, so when her ballet teacher offered for her to stay, 
essentially like have split custody. Mm-hmm. You know, during the week she stayed with her ballet family and had her own bedroom and had like mm-hmm. really nice things. And then she'd go quote unquote home to be with her biological family. And there'd be seven of them stuck in a hotel room with nothing to do. Yeah. I, I can imagine that would be difficult for both the ballet teacher who knows that can actually give her more than she's getting when she's with her mother. Difficult for her mother, who's I'm sure feels terrible that she can't afford mm-hmm. the classes their daughter wants and feels just inadequate. You know, I, I sympathize with her mother in that. And then difficult for Misty because it's where do I belong? Who, who do I stay with? Where do I want to stay? Do I have a choice? And then plus, she was a teenager, and you know how teenagers are about, are at that time, and there she was probably a brat about it. Yeah. You know, she got shrimp scampy while she was living with her ballet teacher during the week, and then she comes to this hotel room. It's like a can of spaghetti. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so can you imagine going from, like, one extreme to the other? That would just be difficult for everybody involved. That I yeah. just have so much sympathy for... I'm going to call her ballet family, her parents as well, because they were mm-hmm. parenting um, both sets of families and Misty. That would just be difficult all over the place. Yeah, agreed. One of the other things that I thought was really interesting about her story was that not only did she have the support of her ballet teacher and her that family, but she also had the support of her community. Her community paid up. For her leotards, tied shoes, really? you know, point shoes. And, you know, at that age, you're going through point shoes once, twice a week. Not twice a week. Every other week. And point shoes run like 75 to 100 bucks. That's a lot of money. Yeah. So, and that was 13. She was 13 years old. Uh, and at 15, she won first place in Music Center Spotlight Awards, and then went on that same summer to study at San Francisco Ballet School uh, during a a summer intensive. Um, Summer intensives are like six to eight weeks in the summer, and it's like classes all day, basically. Instead of going to school all day, you go to ballet class. Mm -hmm. Um, She also went to American Ballet Theater's summer intensive, um, both of those on full scholarships, and then was declared ABT's National Coca-Cola Scholar in 2000. Um, After she came back from San Francisco and her summer intensive there, her mom wanted her to come back and live with her family, uh, but Misty and the ballet teacher's family, the, the Bradleys, that she lived with during the week thought it would damage her career opportunities to move back. And this, I mean, this is where it gets a little hairy, yeah. right? This is where it gets a little ugly. Yep. Is that Misty was getting free ballet classes, free everything, essentially. Not only that, she was also at that time starting to receive offers from professional ballet companies. Right. So she was at the cusp of yep. getting getting to be a ballerina for profession. Mm-hmm. And her mom, and I, I, I don't know her mom, I want to preface this, but I am a mom, I can imagine she just wanted to take back control of the situation and wanted, wanted her daughter back. Wanted her daughter back. Missed her daughter. 
You know, like maybe I can't get her all the things that you can, but I am her mother, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and there her, was a local dance studio closer to them. Right. So, I mean, I don't know if that would have been free or not. I don't know what potential deals she had worked out, but who knows? I see both sides of this. Mm-hmm. Everybody just cares about Misty, right? So at this point, doesn't like doesn't Misty go to try to emancipate herself so she doesn't have to go back to live with her mom? Yeah, she does, but she was not old enough to actually legally emancipate herself at the time. I think she was like a couple of weeks away mm-hmm. from that legal age. So she ended up having to go back and live for a year at home um, with her mom. And it caused a bunch of legal problems between the Bradleys and yeah, her, didn't her family. mom like get like a restraining order against the Bradleys or something. Yeah. She was trying to like she claimed they were trying to brainwash her daughter. Yep. It gets really ugly. Yeah, I mean, but luckily all of that got dropped and I think they just like sit down and be like, This is what we're gonna do. We're all gonna get along. <laughs> we're all gonna make this work. Yeah, for and her. For for Missy, because we all care about Missy and that's the whole point of this is what what do you want, Misty? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So after that year that she lived at home, she finally moved to New York and joined um, ABT's studio company in September of 2000. And do you know what a studio company is? No. Right. So a studio company is like it's the highest rung on the training ladder in a ballet company school. Um, so you. You join the studio company, and the studio company has only, like, 12 people in it. Um, And it's the people that that company sees the most potential in, and they invest in that dancer's career. They they prepare these dancers. um, They range in age between, like, 16 and 20, Mm -hmm. usually, for careers in, in the main company, but they also will allow them to... Um, audition for other companies throughout the world. Um, it's just it's, it's kind of like the last transition, if you will, between uh, ballet student and ballet dancer. Mm-hmm. So after she uh, was in the studio company, she joined American Ballet Theater as a member of the Corps of Ballet in April of 2001. I almost said 2011. Um, she was only 18, and she w- kept being a member of the Corps de Ballet until um, August 2007, when she became the company's second African-American female soloist and the first in two decades within the then 75-year history of ABT. That's impressive. Yeah, and then in June 2015, she was promoted to principal dancer, making her the first, as I said at the beginning, African-American woman to ever be promoted to the position in ABT's history. So it's important to note that she was not the first woman of color to be promoted to principal dancer in a national ballet company. She was just the first at ABT, which is a huge deal. But we want to shed an international light. ballet company. ABT is international. Right. So we want to shed light on the two other women. Deborah Please. Austin was promoted to principal in 1982 at the Pennsylvania Ballet, and Lauren Anderson in 1990 at the Houston Ballet. So yes. there were others, but we're covering Misty Copeland today. 
Yes, she's the bomb. Um, okay, so more about Misty. I don't know very much about ballet. Okay. But I did I did see a ballet. You did. I you did. came with me to see my favorite ballet, Swan Lake. Right. And I've seen the Nutcracker as well. Mm -hmm. I'm not those are my only two. I'm not a big ballet aficionado yet getting there. Uh, we'll get you there. We'll get we'll get me there. I like musicals though. If you want to talk musicals, I'm your girl. But <laughs> Hamilton. Um, Hamilton. I'm not I'm not gonna talk to you about Hamilton. <laughs> anyway, um I think it's very interesting because when you see the dancers in the classical sense, right? They're very tall, long limbed line and have grace and, and Misty does have grace as well she's graceful herself but she just doesn't have that body type no I mean also they're not to put too fine a point on it but they're white right I mean, there's right. there's a small contingent of Asian Asian American ballet dancers but for the vast majority they're white right and she is not Right, and I think I think there's a beauty in in how different her body type is. It's noticeable, mm -hmm. right? I mean, I I am new to ballet. I am not a fine critic eye, if you would look at it that way. But I watched some videos of her dancing, and the way she dances is totally different. It looks totally different because of her body type, and it looks strong, and mm -hmm. it looks tall tall and big. powerful and big mm -hmm. and not that not that those classic body types are not that they just look so wispy and willowy right mm -hmm. and that's not how misty looks and i love it yeah. i love that she looks so different i watched some video of her dancing the firebird and oh girl we're going <laughs> to talk about firebird <laughs> it's important to note as well that the video that i watched she had six stress fractures in her leg yeah and you could not tell. And how, like two or three of them were like almost full breaks yeah. in her tibia. But that's the thing about dancers. That's the thing about ballerinas. The show must go on. They don't care if you've got broken legs or broken fingers or if you're throwing up. If you got the flu, you dance. You well, got a puke bucket on the side of the stage. And it was interesting to me that... They did choreography just for her, for that performance of the Firebird. In 2012. Right. So she she was the first full lead at ABT and the first African-American to dance the role of Firebird at a major ballet company. And yes, um, Alexander Radmansky, who's like, one of the most sought after choreographers of our generation, he did create new choreography in 2012, just for Misty. So imagine, with all that in mind, you finally, you, you've made it, mm -hmm. right? You finally made it. You finally, you have special choreography. You're dancing the Firebird. Your whole family's going to be there. Everyone's going to be there. It's very important to the African-American community, people of color. And your leg hurts a lot. And you can barely walk. And her her interview, she said, you know, I wasn't, there was no way I was not doing this. I was doing it. There was her leg could have shattered during the performance. It wouldn't have mattered. <laughs> she would have done it anyway. Ugh. She would have gotten up and walked it off. Yeah. That's, that's strength. <laughs> that's dedication. 
Yes. Yes. Most people think of ballet dancers as those soft, willowy, you know, graceful creatures, but they are athletes in every single sense of the word. They train like any athlete from sunup to sundown. They sweat their butts off. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they go to the gym. They do Pilates. You know, they do all of these other things in order to be the most fit, the most, in Misty's case, and I would hope in every case, powerful that they could possibly be. But anyway, let's go back to Firebird for a sec. Okay. She also wrote a children's book, also called Firebird, in 2014, inspiring young people that through hard work and dedication, they can reach their dreams. And the little girl in the, the book of Firebird, her dream is to be the Firebird. So it's sort of like her story. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Um, so let's go to 2014 when she broke another barrier in the ballet world and became the first African-American woman to dance my favorite role and the most one of the most demanding roles in ballet, um, which is the role slash roles of Odette and Odile in Swan Lake. So the white swan and the black swan. I don't know if anybody on this is listening here that is, has ever watched that movie Black Swan. And there's there's two roles there. So it's uh, you're basically on stage almost through the entire mm-hmm. show, except for the very beginning. Right. It's it's a beautiful performance. Yes. Um, I'm sure with Misty it was stunning as well. I mean, it's amazing. And she's just really inspiring, mm-hmm. you know, as a human being, but also as a dancer. She did a um, – the, the thing that brought her to my attention was the Under Armour commercial. Oh, yeah. That went viral. There were like 9 million views. I watched that so many times. Like, so many times, because it was, and I, I honestly thought the letter was real. It's not a real letter, no. but it's, it's an amalgamation of the letters that she received. Mm-hmm. You know, not, one person didn't pen that, like, completely hurtful letter, but all of those things were said in several letters. She just sort of made it one letter to be read during the commercial, and I just, that's inspiring, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I'm, just pumped for her to be in the position that she's in now after being told no so many times. And the cool thing about Misty is that she utilizes her platform. She knows that she has a platform and she's in the public eye. She's very into fashion. I think she has an Estee Lauder right. endorsement right now. Right. And she she also using her platform. She was on World of Dance as a guest judge. So she's using her platform to be visible and to speak to the things that are important to her and important to the ballet community and people of color. Mm-hmm. She also was honored with an intro, not an introduction, Alex, an induction into the Boys and Girls Club National Hall of Fame. And she received the Breakthrough Award from the Council of Urban Professionals in 2012. And then she was named the National Youth of the Year Ambassador for the Boys and Girls Club of America in 2013. And then also in 2013, 
She received the Young Gifted in Black Honor Award at the Black Girls Rock Awards. So, on a personal note, she is married. Yes. Um, she, in 2016, got married to her husband, Olu Evans. And <laughs> he is the cousin of Tay Diggs. My hey. musical ear is like, what? Tay Diggs? Did I hear Tay Diggs? <laughs> But um, they seem to be very happy. She really likes to. She's like a normal human being. She likes to cook. She and she, she always is a human human right. being. Right. But I mean, when she hasn't lost sight of who she is with this thing, right? She's very famous right now, and she has not lost sight of the things that make her happy. It, I I laughed whenever I read in one of the articles that she likes to cook and she likes to avoid crowded public places. And I said, girl, same girl. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> I don't like chronicle faces either, and I like to cook. So I just think it's very interesting that that made it into the interview because obviously she must have said that multiple times. But I think it's very interesting that she was in the um, Disney's movie The Nutcracker and the Four Realms. Yes, she was. She was the ballerina princess. Uh-huh. And she's using her spotlight to shed light on the importance of representation, as you mentioned earlier. Yeah. She said, this character is going to live on forever. And that's when some little girl who was told she can't do it because she's not thin, white, live, willowy, mm-hmm. doesn't have boy the, who wanted to do ballet was told, no, whoever is going to see that and see her and say, well, she did it, I can do it too. And the other cool thing I think about her being in that movie is that little kids, little girls and boys are going to look at that movie years from now and they're going to say that's what a ballerina looks like Mm -hmm. that is so cool because think about it this way i'm i'm not a child and i have just no right you act like one sometimes that is true but (laughs) surprisingly i am not a child most (laughs) what i'm getting at is most people don't have the exposure to ballet in the live sense. Their exposure to ballet is in movies, yep. in videos online, and pre-recorded media. My first experience with ballet has been in the last two years. So it's very interesting to And both me. of those were live. Yeah. And so, like, my first real exposure to ballet was Misty Copeland's commercial for Under Armour, the first actual exposure that I had to someone dancing ballet that wasn't a cartoon or, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. A movie. Yeah. A human. Or Natalie Portman. Right. I have not seen that movie, but. So I know you should. I know. I know. But I'm, she is the first ballerina I saw in real life. Like, not live, mm-hmm. but as not in costume, dancing, just dancing. Yeah. And I was very impressed by that. And I was very interested in the fact that she's, I'm glad that she is, was my, this is what Valerie will look like. Yeah. Mentally, even though I'm an adult, it's nice to have that association. And it's important for her to continue doing these movies and videos and commercials and, and mm-hmm. being a part of media and social media because that's how people most people are exposed to ballet yeah i wish i really really wish that ballet was a little bit more mainstream 
And especially the Under Armour commercial that she did a couple years ago, I mean, not only did that go viral because it's an awesome video, but it showed the world and the mainstream media that, uh, you know, about dance, like it shed a light on the dance world. Mm -hmm. I love that. And it's, it's groundbreaking in a lot of ways because it has someone who is groundbreaking, someone mm -hmm. who is breaking barriers and succeeding when she was told she would fail. But everyone loves an underdog. Right. But it was, it's also groundbreaking in that she wasn't in costume. She wasn't all done up with the hair and makeup and the headpieces and mm -hmm. the dress and, and all the costumes. She was herself dancing in the ballet room, like yep. in the practice room. Yep. Just dancing. It's very real. Yep. It feels very real to you. It doesn't have that, this is a show. This is fake. Mm -hmm. It felt very genuine. Personal. Right. Right. So you've seen two live ballets. Mm -hmm. You've seen how the dancers at Pittsburgh Ballet Theater, because that's where you went yes. and saw your ballets, you saw how those dancers move, how they, um, how they interact with each other on stage. You also watched the videos of Misty. How tall do you think Misty is? That's a hard question because the point shoes are like a foot tall. I don't. They seem. <laughs> They're tall. They seem all. All dancers seem ginormous. Yeah. But Missy, I, I don't. I don't know. Like five five. She's five two. Really? Yes. The I whole think point of ballet. She's being bigger. Yeah. Well, that's the that's the point, right? So you get on stage and you have these exaggerated movements because you need the the people up in the peanut heaven be able to see what you're doing yes so you have to make yourself elongated you have to make yourself bigger than you actually are and dancers spend years trying to figure out how to do that and believe me it took misty years too i also read something interesting that i i as a logistical standpoint thought was very interesting. She mentioned that she doesn't have the same diet that a lot of other dancers have mm -hmm. because, I mean, number one, everyone's different, but because her body type is so different from those of all the other dancers that she dances with mostly, mm -hmm. um, she is eating very differently. And it took her about five years to figure out her diet, figure out what best to feed it, her body on dance days and on practice days and on rest days mm -hmm. to get the best result. And I thought that was really interesting. Not only is she just totally breaking the mold in every way possible, she's changing the way dancers eat. Yeah. <laughs> and that's how they fuel their bodies. How, how minimalistic is that in the big scale of things? But she had to learn how to do that all on her own as well. I mean, doesn't everybody? I mean, yes. I, I'm... I'm sure that athletes, um, in the traditional sense, I'm going to also include ballerinas and, and ballet dancers in that category as well, because mm -hmm. uh, it annoys me when people don't include them. But so athletes got to figure that out, right? You know, they have to figure out how to eat, how to fuel their body to to make sure that it's in top shape and top performance for 
their games or matches or performances or whatever. Um, she also wrote a book about it. Did she? Yeah. Is it a cookbook? No. <laughs> it's a nutrition book, I think. Okay. It's for sale on Barnes & Noble and Amazon at your local bookshop. Book place. Book place. Okay. Um, I would also like to note that Please, seriously, Alicia. When Misty danced in Swan Lake as the swan, Odette and Odile. 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 Thank you. Excuse me. Um, she right. danced with a male lead, and that was the first okay. time. Yes, you don't, you generally do. Well, she, but he was of color. Yes. And that was the first time that two people of color had played those roles together in a main ballet performance, like a international theater mm-hmm. ballet performance. Australia. Yeah, and it's awesome. Yes. And the way they dance is very different than what we saw when we saw it live, and I was very impressed by that. Mm-hmm. So she's already making changes. Not only is she encouraging change in, in young women and girls and people of color that want to dance and want to see themselves in the person on the screen, but she's also inspiring I don't want to say I don't want to say that his his hard work and performances did not get him to that point, but I think it doesn't hurt that Misty is such a phenomenon and such a phenomenal dancer that he earned that place. But she, they're helping each other move forward. Yeah. But not only is she, you know, breaking barriers and and being a representative of the dance world. Her, the stuff that she's doing with the Boys and Girls Club, I just think is so cool. I mean, she's giving back in a way that expands kids' horizons. It's really cool. For, for you know, I mean, the whole point of the Bridge Initiative, right, at FI360 is to leave the world the, a better place for our kids, for the, the people that come after us. And I think that she is a real trailblazer in that sense. I think that the dance world, when she's done with it, is going to be a better place because she was in it. Because she had the courage and the tenacity and the determination and the will to break all of those barriers. I personally can't wait to see what comes after her. I can't wait to see more girls, more men, more ballet dancers of color up on those stages at every company, at every level, all around the country, all around the world. And she she said, um, in Swan Lake, there's that that part where there's the 32 turns. What, what are they called? Fuertes. Okay. It is a mark of achievement in yeah, ballet It's world. hard. It's really hard. And there are more than you could know. And there are other dancers who are very celebrated and very skilled. Yes. Like uh, I'm gonna say her name wrong, but Maya Pudiskaya. No. No. Is that not right? That, that is not how you say it. How do you say it? I don't know. <laughs> um, in any event, she opted to skip them completely when she danced in Swan Lake. Um, she subbed something else in turns and spins instead of doing the 32 
Fuertes. Fuertes. Um, and Copeland in... I mean, that, hold on one second. That's a huge deal. To not do it? To not do it. Yeah. Well, everybody looks forward to it. When we saw Swan Lake, as soon as she started turning, everyone was like, yeah, lost it. It was crazy. The whole audience, it's they like lean forward. They're like, I want to see you do this. Yeah. It, I know this is hard. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a thing it, in the dance world. And she, and it's beautiful when it's executed perfectly. Right. And this ballerina chose not to do it because she had such trouble with it. Misty chose to do it, but in some of her performances, it didn't go perfectly. I mean, it, it never could. I mean, maybe live. People got <laughs> off days. Right. It's, it's a live yep. event. And she said, she posted a video and it said, I will always reiterate that I am by no means the best in ballet. I know that I'm in a very unique position and having given a rare platform, all I've ever wanted is to bring ballet to more people and to help diversify it. And then she goes on later and says, as a black woman and as a ballerina, given the chance to take on this role, I often question if I deserve to perform it. My conclusion is that I do. Some of the most memorable Swan Queens in history have brought so much more to this role without having to present the incredible and evolved technique of today by doing the same tricks that bring some to see in Swan Lake. It is so much more than that. Please come see the ballet for escape, for the experience of being moved through our movement and artistry, not to score us on the technicality of what we do. That is why ballet is not a sport. It's an art. I mean, it is. It, it is as demanding as a sport, mm -hmm. but it is a form of art. I mean, I definitely have feelings about whether ballet is a sport or an art. Um, I a sport. I think that it's a sport. It's a sport. It's a sport art. <laughs> yeah, I'm making up the words now. Um, so one other thing that I think is really, really cool to note is, I mean, I don't think that this is a direct um, correlation, but I think that the success of Misty Copeland had a hand in this, and that is that there are now point shoes for women of color. Yeah. Point shoes have always been pink because light pink. light pink because most dancers, as I said before, are white and they wear light pink um, tights and light pink point shoes. And it all blends and gives you the illusion of them being taller and bigger. Exactly, exactly. And women of color, like Misty, they've either had to have their point shoes uh, custom made or, which, who can afford that? Um, or they've had to paint them, color them. Mm -hmm. uh, and now I think it's so cool and so amazing that women of color, dancers of color, now have a, a shoe for them. I think that's step one, right? Well, I think that Missy, not not just Missy, but I think that you know Debbie Austin and um, Lauren Anderson and Missy, I think those are step one. Right, but I think step one to getting more people and more diversity in dance mm -hmm. is creating outfits that make people feel included. I mean, it's all about representation, right? We, we've talked about this in terms of 
at FI360 in, in terms of financial advisors. We want people sitting across the table from us that look like us, that understand us, that think like us. Mm -hmm. The same is true in every single industry. In the dance world, we want to see people who look like us. We want to see people who think like us and understand us, who have the same body types as us. And Missy is breaking the norm. I think that's great. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's part of the whole thing with the Bridge Initiative. We want representation. Of all kinds. Of all kinds for all peoples. It's because of all of those women that came before us and what me and Alicia and the rest of the, the bridge committee, we want to shed a light on that so that we don't take it for granted. Right. And we give credit where credit is due as well. We do. We do. We try to. But that is the point of this whole podcast is to, to give credit where credit is due to as many people as we can, shed a light on those that come before us and made our dreams a reality. Let's go.